before we go any further, we got to celebrate dads for a second, right? We got to celebrate dads. So we celebrate dads here every year, and we've done different things. We'd, we'd give out prizes, you know, and all that fun stuff, but I thought we'd just mix it up today. And um, we're going to do something that maybe you haven't had happen in church before, but I'm just going to challenge you. We're going to just see if anybody has a great dad joke to tell. And if we get a couple of them, we're going to vote to see which is the best. Whichever is the best dad joke is going to get a prize from me. And if you don't want to share a dad joke, I will happily take the prize because it's a good one. All right. So um, I'm going to grab a mic again. I keep putting them back and keep going back here to get them. So if you have a dad joke, um, let me know and I'll come to you and you can tell it to us and we can groan. All right. Because that's what they are. They're groaners. We had four last night. So just saying no pressure. Story doesn't count. We need a dad joke. We need a dad joke. All right, here, Bill Kanabi with a strong, strong dad joke. Let's go. Well, I don't know how strong it is, but this morning, my daughter, Emma, she comes up to me and she says, have you seen my bookmark? Almost 21 years old, and she still doesn't know my name's Bill. <laughs> All right, we got one back here. We got one back here. So we're going to call that the bookmark joke, all right? The bookmark joke, just remember. All right, there's three dads. They're walking in the woods, and they come across some tracks. And the first dad goes, hey, I think those are duck tracks. And the second dad goes, no, 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 they're wolf tracks. And the third dad said, and then the train hit him. We're going to call that the train joke. I like that. I like it. You got one here, Mike? Okay, here we go. Third one. All right, so what happens when you run behind a car? What happens when you run behind a car? You get exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Oof. That's the exhausted joke, all right? So we've got the bookmark joke, the 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 train joke and the exhausted joke. Oh, I'm afraid of this right here. <laughs> um, what's the buffalo tell his son in the morning? What? Why, son? <laughs> All right, it is the bookmark joke that wins it. Seventy-two pieces of fully cooked bacon, my friend. Wow. So, if if you want to, if it was me, I would start eating that now. Um, and if I hear the crinkling of the you know the, the package, I'm I'm okay with it because I understand. Oh, there you go. Nice, nice. But there's also a lot of bacon. If you were a great great guy, you could share. Just saying. Just saying. Well, um, you know what, if, uh, if you are a dad in the room, would you just raise your hand? You don't even have to stand up. Just raise your hand, your dad in the room. Um, just want to say to you guys, you guys are awesome, and happy Father's Day. Um, and we, we do, we appreciate you guys. So um, let's hear it for dads. Um, Father's Day is always interesting. Last night we had a great, great night. We... Uh, we had, of course, church at 5 o'clock, and then 
afterwards, we, uh, we showed the film Finding Nemo. And we had, we had a full, I would say like a pretty full house, like over 50 people were here and we had a blast. Some of the snacks were amazing. We, they were all themed to an extreme. Um, huge props to Kelly Detlaff and Molly and the Detlaff family for helping get those snacks together as well as Carrie and Kylan and Kesley Penwit. It was awesome. Yeah, and we just, way too much sugar, way too much sugar. But it was a blast to be able to be together and watch a movie that is about an overprotective dad and his son who is a little wayward and a little, little bit wanting to kind of get out there and experience the world. And, and I wanted to show that film this weekend because I believe that maybe we can actually learn a little bit from that movie about fatherhood. Because the problem is, is that if you look at the Bible and you look at scripture, there is not a ton of great dad role models. I mean, if you look through scripture, there's not a ton, there's not a long list of dads that we can say, you know what, I want to be like that guy. But I want us to take some time to look at three. Now, we've been kind of talking about the, this, this series um, me with you. Can I trust me with you? By and large, scripture, I'm sorry, culture has said, you know what, the answer to that is no, because, well, we've experienced what it's like when we are vulnerable, when we share something that's sensitive or that's in our heart. David had a Jonathan. He was able to share his frustrations, his suspicions, his fears with Jonathan. David was able to have someone in his life that spoke into him and said, you know what, this is what I see in your life that needs to be realigned. There's something in your life that needs to be adjusted. He had Nathan in his life and was able to say, you know what, I need to adjust some things in my life. And so we need the person in our life that can speak into us, that we can share with, but also can speak into us. Can I trust me and my direction for my life with what you say? And then last week we talked about Samuel and David and how Samuel saw something in David that David did not see. Samuel saw a king, and everyone else saw some kid out in the field chasing sheep. I want us to look at three different dads today in Scripture, and they're all centered around, isn't God good, all around these stories that we've been talking about. And so the first dad that I want to talk about is Jesse. From the passage of Scripture that we looked at last week, um, we focused mainly on the fact that Samuel was anointing David to be the king when he was a shepherd boy from a peasant family. But today, what I want us to look at is just look at a little passage from, that, from 1 Samuel that will kind of indicate something and show us something about Jesse and David's um, relationship. And so this is the passage from 1 Samuel um, chapter 16. So Samuel, if you remember, has, um, Jesse has brought all of the seven of his sons before Samuel, and he said, not that one, not that one, it's not that one, not that one. And then he says to Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse answers, well, they're still the youngest. I mean, he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So just leave that up there for a second and think about what's happening here from a father-son relationship and those dynamics. 
You have a dad in Jesse who has brought before the man of God. The man of God shows up. There's a little bit of fear because the man of God is an important guy. And when he shows up, maybe he's going to throw down. Maybe he's going to call us out on stuff. I don't know. But Samuel quickly diffuses that situation and says, I I, I want to see the the sons that you have. And God's going to show me the king. And, And this happens. And Jesse doesn't even invite David to that meeting with the man of God. I mean, when you think about that, what must have it felt like for David to have been in the field by himself throwing rocks at sheep, which is what they did to keep them all together, is throwing rocks at sheep, and all of a sudden somebody runs up to him and says, hey, you know what, your dad needs you back at the house because, well, Samuel, the, the, the man of God is there, and, and he wants to see you. And, and he gets there, and everybody else is already there, like last to the party. Jesse didn't even think to invite or to ask David to come there, but Samuel said, go get him. I mean, what does it look like for a dad like that to forget or to just not invite one of his sons out of the eight to come to that that meeting with the man of God, with Samuel? I don't know that for anybody, any dad want to admit forgetting your kid in a grocery store, you know, or losing a kid, you know? I don't know that it's a really great role model or a really great situation that we want to emulate by saying, look, Jesse forgets his kid in the field. (laughs) Um, Let's do more of that. So I don't know that Jesse is necessarily the the perfect example for us as a dad. You kind of think about if you rewind a little bit, or if you, not even rewind, but if you just kind of like look at the whole situation there, at that time Saul was king and Saul was not okay. Saul um, dishonored God. He, he sacrificed to God when he shouldn't have. And Samuel showed up and said, you're not going to be king much longer. And God is just like, I'm moving on from you. This is not going to work out. But I mean, you know that Saul was a dad too. Saul had sons. He had several sons. And, and, and I don't know if you really remember or understand, if you look at it in Scripture in 1 Samuel, you'll see that the dynamics between, between Saul and Jonathan particularly were not great. Another, another relationship between father and son that probably not the greatest to emulate. I mean, if you look back a couple weeks ago when we talked about David and Jonathan, Jonathan was literally kind of working behind the scenes against his dad, Saul, in order to keep David alive. He was almost in some ways sabotaging the kingdom as a prince to the king. And so there's a lot of suspicion between Jonathan and Saul and a lot of like dynamics that are happening between that father and that son. And, and we see in Scripture that what happens at the end, and do you know how that, that relationship, that father-son relationship ends? In 1 Samuel 31, we see it. It looks like this. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. And so if you know the story, Saul falls on his sword. But here we see that the place where Jonathan and Saul's relationship ends is on the battlefield where they both die. Now maybe there's kudos that we need to give to Jonathan because he was still fighting for and on the side of his dad even then. But we know that, man, this is kind of in a big way, kind of tragic, the way that this whole relationship is really described and illustrated for us in scripture 
So I don't know for sure that Saul would be a great dad or a great father to emulate and to model our lives after. But do you ever, ever ask yourself, why does Israel have kings anyway? Because if right before this, it's the judges. And Samuel is the last judge of Israel. And it's kind of like, why do they have kings all of a sudden? And, and it's interesting because Saul's the first king, but you've you got to realize that it all stems back to Samuel. And if you look in Scripture, if you, you rewind in, into 1 Samuel chapter 8, it talks about the fact that um, there was something going on between Samuel's sons and him. It says this, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. It goes on to talk about how the elders of Israel, the people of Israel, came to Samuel, and they literally call him on this. And they say, we want a king like the other nations have, because your sons are not like you. The man of God, the last judge of Israel, the prophet of God, somehow, some way, there was a breakdown between him and his sons that at some point his sons did not follow his ways. Now, let's not get too hasty, but let's look at what the possibilities are. Samuel, if you read in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel is running all over the place. As the man of God, he is everywhere, man. He is going here. He's calling people out. He's going here. He's winning battles. He's anointing kings. He's doing all this work for God. And in the end, his sons don't serve the Lord. I, I admit, rabbit trail, maybe, maybe, maybe there was something about what Samuel was doing although he was called of God, that, that his sons, literally, the enemy used it to basically say, do you really want that? Do you really want to be chasing all this stuff and being like on a leash for God and he, you're going to be told to go here, told to go there, and he's never around and he's always out there helping everybody else, but he's not home, he's not with you? I don't know, just a rabbit trail. The other thing is this, is that let's not get too hasty to blame Samuel, but maybe Samuel did everything he needed to do as a dad or everything he could do. And then, as kids, we all have, we know this, right? We all have the choice one day when we leave home and we choose what we will do, we choose what we will believe, we choose who we will follow. And maybe the enemy simply just used this opportunity to draw his sons away so that they would take bribes and pervert justice. We don't really know what happened, but the reason that Israel went for a king and demanded a king was because Samuel's sons were not like his dad. So, Jesse, not great, leaving his kid. Jesse, we have a slide here. Jesse left his, his son in the field, right? And then Saul 
left his son on the battlefield. And then Samuel's sons came out of left field. Like, where are these guys coming from? <laughs> they don't even follow God. That's almost a ja dad joke, but not. So what do we do? Well, I think we got to look at Finding Nemo. We got to. Because, you know, the dad in Finding Nemo, Marlin, I think he can show us some things. Marlin, at the beginning of the movie, um, loses his family. It's about a, a single parent, single dad. Um, the whole movie is about a single dad raising one child. Very interesting. Overprotective. Loses him. And the whole movie is about Marlin, the dad, pursuing Nemo. Pursuing the thing that means the most to him. The thing that matters most to him. And I think the idea of pursuit is what we want to focus on. I don't know that what we can say, if we can say anything about Jesse or Saul or Samuel, but it seems like the pursuit seemed to get a little adjusted. It didn't seem to be quite right. The pursuit that they were on, maybe Jesse was pursuing looking good in front of the man of God, and Saul was pursuing, you know, being the, the king that had it all and could boss everybody around. And maybe Samuel was just trying to do what God called him to do. And the pursuit maybe was just a little bit off. I don't know, but I know this for sure, that as a dad, I can tell you that the things that I pursue are difficult to prioritize. And the thing that I pursue as a dad is really important. The very first thing that I pursue, the thing that consumes me most is really important to think about. And the movie in Finding Nemo, I mean, this dad, he can't tell a good joke, right? There's this mollusk that walks up to a sea cucumber, and, you know, the sea cucumber doesn't walk, but, you know, they, everybody walks in a joke, and they talk, and, you know, whatever. He's a clownfish, get it? You can't tell a joke. And, and he goes through, and he goes to the sharks, and the sharks are like, you know, what issue do you have? He's like, I'm all good, and they're like, denial. <laughs> you wish you would have been here last night. And he goes through, and he, he gets uh, um, connected up with Crush, the turtle, and he learns a little bit about parenting from him, and he, and he has all these moments, and he finally gets reunited with Nemo at the end. And at the end, where the, really the, 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 probably the turning point of the whole movie is when he has to let Nemo go into the net of fish to save the fish from the fishermen. And he trusts his son, and he allows him to do what he needs to do. You know, I think this pursuit that Marlon is on is something that we can, we can look at and understand because, man, we don't necessarily have that. I'll tell you what um, is interesting about the Samuel and his sons um, is that the, the people of Israel noticed something, that, that, that his sons weren't like him, and that was not okay. Deuteronomy 6 says this, it says, impress these laws upon your heart, the commandments of God upon your heart, as mothers and fathers first, and then impress them on your children. Somehow the kids are supposed to look like mom and dad. But I think that we, we as dads and we as people of God, we often don't want people to look at us. I'm broken, I'm, I'm messed up, I don't have it all together. Don't look at me, follow Jesus. Don't follow me, follow Jesus. Let me just tell you, if we were on our way to somewhere that you didn't know how to get to, Mike, 
and you didn't have a GPS or a phone or any way to get there, and I was going to tell you, like, hey, you know what? It's about 50 miles from here. There's about 17 turns, but you'll get there. Just head that direction. You would probably say, let me follow you, and I'll get there because I'm going where you want to go. And when we say as dads or moms or the people of God, don't follow me, follow Jesus, ah, where are you going? Why wouldn't I want to follow you? Because if you're following Christ, then you're going to lead me there. So I think we have it a little bit off in our pursuit. We say, you know what, don't pursue me, pursue Jesus. No, actually what we need to do is we need to rise up as men of God, as women of God, and say, you know what, (laughs) my responsibility is not to say do what I do, but be who I am. And I don't know that we're really ready for that. Be who I am. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, he simply says this really quickly. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's literally saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. He's not saying, don't follow me, follow Jesus. He's saying, literally, I'm following Jesus as I, I want you to follow me as I pursue Jesus. I don't want you to do what I do. I want you to be who I am. Are you guys following? Super quiet. We'll go one more, like, nerve deeper. Today's hard for a lot of people. Because dad wasn't okay. Some of you know my story. My dad and I's relationship, very strained, to say the least. And maybe you grew up and your dad wasn't around, literally out of the house. Maybe your dad left your mom early in life when you were just a kid. Maybe your dad was around, but he was missing. Do you know what I'm saying? He was around, but he was gone. And here's what's really jacked up. And I think I'm going to talk to just to dads in the room for a second. I find in my own life, that I have spent a lot of time, listen to what I'm saying, because I think there's freedom on the other side of this. I have spent a lot of time working, thinking, putting forth as best as I can, as much effort as I can, not to be my dad. And I know for a fact, having talked to many of you, that many of you are in the same exact spot. You have done so much work. You have thought about it so much. You have made commitments and agreements with yourself and even with your spouse to say, you know what? I will not be like that man. I will not do what he did. Our family will be different. Can I be honest with you? As Sarah and I were were engaged in talking about being married, one of the conversations I had with her is I said, look, if we do this, we are not going to repeat history. And so we grow up like this, and then you've got a joker up here saying, guess what? 
You need to be the dad that your kids want to be. I'm telling you to do the exact opposite of what you've been working to do is not to be your dad, but now you want, and Scripture shows us that we should be the men and even the women of God that allows our kids and causes and awakens, inspires our kids to want to be us. It's so much easier if you just say, don't look at me, don't, don't follow me, because guess what? It's so much easier because then I can kind of do and I can kind of screw up some things. And I can, we all get that. So here we are, and we, we're stuck, right? We're stuck. Um, we've got a bunch of people who have grown up with a, either a father wound or a hole or something that isn't right in our life when it comes to our dad. And some of us are trying to rewrite history or rewrite our, our future to make it better than what we had. And that's all what I'm saying. It's good. That's awesome. But what is your model? What are you looking at? Are you looking at Jesse? Are you looking at Saul? Are you looking at Samuel? Bruh, right? Paul says, look at Jesus. And I love what Ephesians 3 says, 3, verse 14 and 15. It says this, for this reason I kneel. Now, before I go on, Paul, right before this, he says, all of the manifest wisdom of God is going to be revealed to the rulers and the principalities of the world through the church. Like the church is amazing and the Father is amazing and this is all amazing. And then he says, for that reason, I kneel before the, what? The Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. If you're in the room today, where did you get your last name? From your dad. But what this passage says is that every family in heaven and on earth gets its name from the Heavenly Father. A way to think about this is this. The Father is the prototype of fatherhood. If you, as dad, if you can dig in and do the work, this is where the work is, is to figure out what is the father like? What is our heavenly father like? What does he do? How does he think? What does he, what is a priority to him? And we begin to model our life, not after Jesse or Saul or Samuel, because there's brokenness in all of that. But we see that this is, and there's brokenness in us. But if we see the heavenly father and we say, you know what, I want to emulate that that's where we begin to break those generational things that are over us. When we begin to break the lies that we believe that you're going to be your dad, guess what? That's not true. We talk about this idea that, hey, we want the, this, the, these things to be multiplied, that first song that we sang. You know, that's, that's what we want. We want to see this, these offerings to be multiplied and, and all these things. How is it going to get multiplied? It's when people, when your kids begin to emulate you because they see that, that that is what they want. They see you following Christ. Is this helping anybody? Because some of us need to be healed from what dad's done or not done. And you know what? The healing's there. I've told you a couple of these things, and I know that Father's Day can be hard. You know, you ever walk through the house, and you, like, you, you hit your knuckles on, like, the, the door jam of the, of the door, and, and they, like, it scrapes? It's, it hurts so bad, right? Like, mm. and, and have you ever done that? And then, like, later in the day, like, a couple hours later, you're walking through the house, and you do it again? It, it hurts more, right? 
it literally hurts more because your knuckles are bare skin. It's like, oh my gosh, it's an open wound. Guess what? When, when, when I go to the, to the Father's Day message like today and I start to say, hey, you know what? We just need to get healed from some of the stuff that dad did. It's kind of like, that hurts even more because it's an open wound. And Jesus wants to get in there and he wants to heal that. He wants to get in there. He wants to heal that. And he's not going to necessarily do it all today in the next 15 minutes while we sing. But he's going to do it over time through this week when you get alone with God and you sit with him and you allow him to whisper into your ear exactly what he's like and say, you know what? You are able to be like me. I'd love to have um, the band come up. And I would love to have every dad in the room stand up. Yeah, I said, every dad in the room, stand up. Uh, you guys can punch me afterwards, but just stand up. Awesome. You know, the, the first person in Finding Nemo to actually affirm Marlon's parenting as a dad is his wife in the first two minutes of the movie before she's gone. When you look around, if you're married to one of these guys or you're one of these guys' kids, be the first person to affirm some things in their life, to see some things that they may not see in them. Because what I'll tell you, gentlemen, is this, and this is what I hope that helps us because it helped me. Matt, you're a good man. You guys are good men. You guys have greatness inside of you and leadership inside of you, and you know it in here. Let me be one person out of maybe nobody that has ever said it to you, that there is something inside you that wants and desires to follow Jesus. He put that in you from before you were born, that there would be something inside you that would connect in. No matter what you pursue, no matter what you go after, you can pursue money, status, affirmation, being pleased and pleasure and all that stuff. None of it will fulfill you guys. None of it will. But there is a call of God on your life. Right where you're at, where you're working, where you're, wh whatever you're doing, God has a plan. And you are a man of God and you are a good, good man. And I'm just speaking some things into existence that may not even be. Because that's what God the Father does. Romans 4. Why don't we all stand around these guys? Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we, we look to you, Father, for our example and for you to fill the gaps. Because so many of us are sitting here today and our dads left gaps. And you know what? That is going to be true of any dad. Even the best dad in the world, Lord, is going to leave gaps in our life because they're not designed to give us 100% of what we're supposed to get. We're, they're designed to give us what they can. And when they give everything they can, you know what, God? You are the one that fills the gaps that are left. And Lord God, we just pray right now that we would stop trying to get our fathers to do something for us or to be something for us when you are speaking to us that you are wanting to be that to us. Lord, as we sing these songs, Lord, I pray that the Father God would truly, the Spirit of God would come into this room and just care for us.
and care for us where we're at and to help us understand that we are loved. And that no matter what kind of earthly dad we had, Lord, that you are here now. You are here now. You can be here in our hearts. And Lord, you are here in our hearts. And so, Lord, we just give you this moment and we ask you, God, to speak to us and to change us and transform us. Lord, in Jesus' name, we break the chains that have bound us of of not wanting to be like our dad. Lord, help us to move on and to be able to say, Lord, heal that moment, but also allow us to rise up and be the men of God that you've called us to be. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. So that song is controversial because it talks about God's love being reckless. Um, and, And I think that that's fair because we don't really get that. It doesn't really make sense to sing sing words like that um, because we haven't experienced that in the real world. We haven't experienced someone going from way out, like way out, and just coming and finding us where we might be in a field forgotten by our own dad and finding us. And they, this person comes down, comes to this and says, you know what? I got you. I leave the 99 and find the one. And then what's even better is he throws down a little Ephesians 3 on you and says, guess what? You now have my identity. Now I'm going to follow the orphan. I'm going to tell you, you're going to be called by your true name now. You think you're a descenso, but you're of the most high. And he says, mine. He does the same thing here. He says, mine. Mine. Mine, 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 mine. You'll never watch that scene again the same. That's what God does. Mine, mine. I mean, to think about that your identity, your true identity doesn't come from your earthly dad, but it comes from your heavenly father. To be able to know that today, man, it frees us of so much stuff to know that we are his. So... I'm excited for today for you because I believe that God's doing a work. And I know I I can't do it, man, because this guy plays every week. He's 40 years old today, so happy birthday to this guy. And he's a dad, and he's got one on the way. So that's cool. And before you go, I'm going to pray. And just let's just bless dads and bless guys as we go. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are the one that gives us our identity. Lord, you give us our identity. Lord, this is what Adam did. He named the animals, and he was able to begin to give identity. And Lord God, I pray that you would awaken something in us that would allow us to even be able to redirect and say, Lord, it's not that I have anything to give, but it's reckless love that has come and found me when I didn't deserve it and I couldn't earn it, Lord, you found me and you put your name on me and you filled gaps. Lord, help me to live in that. Help me to move forward today and this week in that truth and live out of that truth. No matter what my history looks like, may I start new today with a renewed understanding of who you are in my life, God. We thank you, Lord, for every dad in the room. And Lord, I pray a blessing upon them, that you would guide and direct them, that you would keep them close to you. They would cause your face to shine upon them, Lord God. And Lord, that we would not, um, as dads, um, 
just lower the bar and try to live up to that, but Lord, that we would rise up, Lord God, as men of God. And Lord, that the women of God would rise up alongside. And Lord God, that we would become your church and called by her true name. Lord, we thank you for that and what you're doing in our life. God, we love you. You are the true Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, so two things. Out there, we've got Father's Day backdrop. Get a moment today with your family, and we have a gift for every dad on your way out. So definitely have a great day. Enjoy it, guys.